Welcome to Sunburnt Country Music, interviews with Australian country music artists. My name is Sophie and I have been interviewing Australian country music artists for over a decade and I still love it. I love their stories, I love their insights and I love their music. So I hope you enjoy hearing from them on this podcast. Matt Cornell has many strings to his bow, among them being a member of the Golden Guitar nominated Cornell and Carr, musical director for Adam Brand and key artist for the country on Keppel Festival coming up next year. Matt last released solo music in 2017 and now has a great new single, Sticking Around. We're going to talk about that. Hi, Matt. Hello, Soph. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you going? I'm better now. It seems every time we chat, I'm, I'm sick. What's going on? Please don't please we... don't want to speak to me next week because I don't want to get sick again. <laughs> That's okay. If I speak to you enough now, we won't need to speak next week. So we'll start <laughs> with the hard questions. You grew up in a musical family. I did. Was it a case of you wanting to emulate your parents or more that music was so much a part of the family that you couldn't imagine doing anything else? It, it was the, the latter of what you just said. I never I never intended to 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 uh, you know, set out in the music business. It was, um, I think we're, as children, you're so heavily influenced by your parents and you see it in in all kinds of different genres, um, it, different, like in sport, often you see a rugby league player, their dad was a rugby league player. You see a, a girl that represents Australia in hockey, the mum was a hockey player, all this sort of stuff. I, I, from my earlier early memories as a kid, it was music. It was my mum and dad rehearsing shows in, in the lounge room. Um, you know, Cole Joy and Digger Ravel and people like that would pop in for a coffee. To me, they were just my mum and dad's friends. It was all very normal. But, you know, mum and dad used to perform on the cruise ships and they'd take my brother and I on the cruise ships. We'd stand side of stage or sit up in the bio box watching them do their shows. Um, it was it was what the family did. It was what my parents did. Um, and as a consequence, uh, just being surrounded by it, I, I was influence without even knowing it but I had I showed ability from a, a very young age and and I, I was never pushed into it my mum and dad never they were never stage parents um I, I I was pushing them to to you know learn in certain instruments and and play music so when they were rehearsing in the living room did you just used to sit and watch or was it more that it was just on in the background of the home oh, and you just heard it yeah you know, a, a bit of both sometimes it'd just be so normal in, in the household like I could be you know, watching TV or playing a game, doing my own thing, or I, I would just often, it ha- this happened a lot. My dad, if he was learning a particular show, um, I would know the show. I would know every word to every song to the point where if, if I'd go, my dad, I'd be a little kid and I'd be side of stage and he'd come on stage and go, Dad, you stuffed up the lyrics in the second verse of such and such song and he'd be like, wow, because I, 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 I'd hear the songs as much as they would. So I would know all the lyrics to the songs and, um, yeah, it's obviously when you're a kid you just take it for granted but I look back on it now and I think wow that was a pretty cool thing to be a part of um but, but yeah as a kid you don't think it's such a big deal but there was a stigma attached to things back then and there still is now and I still remember when people would say what does your dad do and I'd say he's a singer they go no what's his day job and I'd say no that's his job and and over the years you know if I meet some of the first time what do you do oh, I'm an artist or I'm a musician no but, but what do you do for a living I'm like that's what I do for a living there's always been this you know kind of stigma attached to it. I know it was, definitely was back then. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because, yes, people say that sort of thing. However, a lot of people dream of doing that as their as their day job, being an artist, being a singer. Um, you know, so many people have creative dreams, I think. So maybe it's a way of, of offsetting the fact that they haven't done that themselves. 
Yeah, maybe. I don't know what it is. I think it's also, um, I know when I've gone to America over the years and if I meet someone in America and they say, oh, what are you doing here? And I might say, I'm on a tour, I'm a musician, I'm an artist. Say, oh, you're an artist, you're a musician. They seem to be really respectful of it. Whereas here, I think just part of our our culture in Australia, we tend to put a lot of sports people on pedestals, you know. Um, and I think, I'm not saying everyone does, but I just think sport is such a big part of our culture in Australia. And, and I totally understand I'm a massive sports fan myself. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I think art and, and culture, um, uh, you know, music and, and theatre and that kind of thing, even though it's prevalent here and there's a lot of people that do it and that, that love watching it and going to shows and that, it's not like, you know, when you go to Nashville, it is it is a music-focused town. Everywhere you go, it's just music, music, music. And then you go to somewhere like LA, it's not just music, it's movies, it's art, it's all that sort of stuff. Um, whereas, I don't know, I think I think Australia definitely there's that sport thing here that it seems to be probably bigger than the arts. I don't know, maybe I'm, it's just my thoughts on it. Well, I don't think so because if we look at what happened throughout the pandemic, the first thing to recover, in fact, it was during the pandemic, was sport. Yeah. So there were large sporting events put on and, and we know what happened to musicians. You know, there were live shows yeah. that were just not put on and still not recovering really. Oh, to the no, look, I, I still think we're a long way off. Uh, even just the other day, I think it was Jimmy Barnes and there were some other acts that they were worried about. There's a COVID wave that I didn't even know is out there at the moment. Apparently there is. And some artists were like cancelling and postponing shows. I'm like, really? We're still doing this? Like, it, to me, I just feel like, um, you know, I think we're at that stage in the pandemic where just – if you want to go to a gig, if you want to go on a cruise ship, if you want to go to a sporting event, just go. You know, I think unless you're, you know, you're very sick, you have problems with your, you know, your immune system or whatever. I just think let's just get out there and live our lives. We can't, we can't be scared anymore. No, I'm not. I, I don't care. You know. Well, and also, live music's so great. Why deny yourself the fun? Absolutely, and I think. One thing I noticed um, when when we were in lockdown, a lot of people were commenting, you know, saying, oh, I'll never take live music for, for granted again and all this sort of stuff. And I thought, um, I, I, you know, things like that, people's, you know, it changes when things come back, you know. I remember when I was, um, when I was living in England in the late 90s and I was backpacking around the, the world, I remember being in Egypt for like six weeks and and I was I was journaling at the time, and I remember writing something like, "I'll never be a fussy eater again. I'll never complain about food again." But of course, those you, you know, six months later, of course, you, you you go back to being fussy about your food. But yeah. my point is, I, I was hopeful that um, you know when live music was taken away, that uh, it, it people would really uh, just see how special it is. Not not just music, but just the arts in general. I think it's so prevalent in our lives. Whether you're sitting there watching Netflix whether you're in the car on a road trip listening to a podcast, listening to music, this is, it's its all part of the art. It's all part of that particular world. And that's why I think over the years it's been frustrating with sometimes the lack of funding and help uh, that, that artists get um, from certain governments that are in power at the time. Um, and you'll see them spending money on, uh, you know, certain things. And you know, okay, I get it. But, you know, if music was taken away, like obviously the live music was during the pandemic, but people would still listen to music. But if music was taken away, um, you, there was no Spotify, we couldn't listen to music, like the world would just be, it would be a dark place. You know, it brings so much joy to people's lives and and music means so much to people and especially when people really connect with a, an artist, a band or whatever, and, and it becomes a big part of their life. They get tattoos of that artist on their thing, their things on their wall. It becomes like a big part of their life. Yeah. Um, and so, 
Uh, yeah, again, I just feel that um, there is there is that thing about our country that as great as Australia is, I think sometimes um, the arts do suffer a bit. I know in the past, whenever there's been like a, a flood or, a, you know, fires or anything, that artists are the first to put their hand up to put on a concert. They yeah. are the first to, to you know, I, I've done countless charity gigs that I've been involved over the years when, you know, there's a good cause, you just want to do it. And then you see, you know, governments, and I'm not going to go on a political rant, don't worry, but you see governments at, at different times just wasting money on things, you know, when there's people out there that, that need help, you know. Yeah. It's very frustrating. Perhaps part of it is not understanding uh, what it takes to get to the level of being able to put up your hand to play, a, you know, a, a show when there is a need, a fundraising show. You know, there's there's so much work that goes into being a performing artist, which helps me come back to my next question to you, which is that, you know, even though you grew up around music, you said you had a talent from a young age, but you still have to put in the work, like to get to oh, the point absolutely. you're at now. So the work starts early, often. So I guess for you, um, what instrument did it start on when you were a child? Uh, it was piano first up. My, my dad, um, even though he was a singer, he was classically trained piano player and guitar player. So uh, my first instrument was piano. I started playing classical piano at the age of four and then probably around the age of eight or nine, I then started playing classical guitar. And um, and my dad, I used to get piano lessons, but then my dad taught me how to play classical guitar and then that went to electric guitar. It was when I was, it's, it's a funny story, I was, I was 15 doing work experience in the guitar factory in Parramatta. Uh, the guy that owns the shop, we're still mates to this day, and it was in his original shop, which was like this tiny little place. And I was doing work experience and I was playing electric guitar at the time. But this particular day, I think I was like polishing the guitars on the wall or whatever. And I had a bass guitar in my hand and uh, and I was playing Stevie Wonder's Master Blaster. And it's got this and it's just like this cool bass line. But I couldn't actually use my fingers like bass players, you know, walk their fingers. I was sort of using my nail and I'm sitting there just playing Master Blaster. And the um and the the resident bass player at the time was a guy called Jonathan Nan Lohi, and he was teaching in one of the back rooms, and he stuck his head around the corner, and he's like, "Man, how long have you been playing the bass?" I said, oh, "I don't. I'm a guitar player." And he said, "You should think about changing instruments." And that's all he said, and it was seriously like this ding. And then while I was there for that week doing work experience, like every minute that, that I, I could, I was just picking up a bass and playing it. And I remember going home and going, "Mum, I think I want to be a." I want to play the bass. And she said, you just bought all this new gear. And she bought me a new guitar amp and all this stuff. Anyway, so I, I remember when, when I started playing the bass, it was different to piano and it was different to guitar. I was obsessed with it. I couldn't put it down. I drive the family absolutely crazy. <laughs> Literally, I'd go to the dinner table with my mum and like, put that thing down and eat your dinner. Yeah. I was just, I was obsessed with it. And um, I, I was chatting to this guy about this today. Um, there used to be a show called Enough Rope with Andrew Denton. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I've never forgotten, he was interviewing Pat Rafter once and, and just talking about his career and tennis and, you know, all that stuff. And Pat Rafter said something and I've never forgotten. And, and Pat Rafter said, if you want to excel at something, you have to be obsessed with it. And um, and for me, especially the bass guitar, I I was completely obsessed with it. And and there's that other saying in life: if you if you do if you want to be very efficient at something, if you do ten you, you, after ten thousand hours, you will be. And I feel like I did the ten thousand hours during my teenage years playing bass, and I'd already played two other instruments. So, it yes, I worked really really hard to get to a particular level. But for me. I started playing professionally at 16, playing in bands and that. But for me, once I got out and started playing, I didn't want to do the practice. And I felt like the, the, I'd done a lot of practice, but playing live is what I wanted to do. Um, 
so yeah, it was that I had a love affair with the bass guitar like I'd never experienced before. And, so uh, that was yeah. So you left six strings behind for four. How I dare did. you? <laughs> I did. And you know what? This this thing, it's always it's always oh, close by. It's uh, it just sits on, on the guitar stand here in the lounge room. You know, it's uh, my best friend. <laughs> did so, I mean, but you're also a singer. So I'm wondering if having that that music that that background with those instruments, understanding how actually three different instruments worked, helped you understand the instrument of your voice. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think it did. And definitely, like, I, I could pitch from a very young age. Like, mum reckons I was singing in tune, like, at three and four. Like, when I was a little kid, I could sing in tune. So I could sing. But funnily enough, my mum my and dad were, were like, great singers and they, they sang for a living. And even though I could sing in tune, looking back, I, they never taught me how to sing. And so I, I actually developed some bad habits when I was younger with with my singing voice. And it wasn't until, way, like, you know, and I'm talking maybe 15 years ago, I started getting singing lessons for the first time. Not that I needed to learn to sing in tune. Mm. I just needed to work on the mechanics of my voice because I'd had some issues with nodules and things like that. But I think just playing an instrument in general just gives you, when you start to, you know, study music and understand what chord structures are and that type of thing, it, it, of course it'll help your singing because you, um, if you can pitch, that's you're, you're off to a great start. But I think um, I could naturally harmonise. I could sing harmonies when I was a little kid. And, and some people that are amazing singers, I know some incredible singers that can't naturally sing harmonies. Mm-hmm. So I think I just had that innate ability and, and I'm, I'm convinced it's DNA. Again, you talk about sport, things like that, where you see a, a, a child ex- excelling at a particular sport because one of their parents does it. So it definitely, um, I think it all goes together when you're learning an instrument, when you're singing, it's just, you're just doing it. And I think as a kid, you're not, you're not thinking about the bigger picture. You're just doing it out of love and something that you're obsessed with. You just can't, you can't put it down. But I, I definitely know for me, I feel like the the hard yards that I did in terms of learning an instrument, it came through my teenage years because once I was well and truly into my twenties, I was touring and playing um, music and I, I, I was probably lazy with my practice, but that wasn't my focus at that point. I was out there playing and that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, but just on the point of harmonies, yes, it does require an ability to hear the chords, I guess, with or you know, hear those layers within the melody that enable you to harmonise. So it is, yes, it is definitely a particular skill. And I'm interested um, which singers you admired as you were growing up. So which singers, yeah. we all try to emulate singers when we're, when we're kids. Yeah. Oh, look, that. absolutely. Look, I mentioned Stevie Wonder. My first album that I ever bought with my own money, it's here on my shelf, uh, Stevie Wonder's Hotter Than July um, you know, he was just an incredible singer, Stevie Wonder, my goodness. Um, so he he was one, but I think it was, um, you know, it's no secret. People know that I've got this love affair with the 80s and all this sort of stuff. But I think it was during when I first started playing the bass, I went down some rabbit holes and and, and one of them was I was a massive police fan and and I found new respect for not only Sting but Paul McCartney because playing bass and singing is it's actually really hard. It's like sort of rubbing your your, your tummy and patting your head. Very different to playing most instruments. Drums and bass, you don't see a lot of front people playing either of those instruments because it's actually quite difficult to do. So I I worked at it. So it was almost like a subconscious thing. I used to play along with Sting songs and learn to play and, and sing songs like Roxanne, which is it's so syncopated. Um, and there was another band that it's they're not really a household name here in Australia. There's a band, um, don't know if you know them, called Level 42. I have heard yeah. of them, but I don't okay. know their music well. Okay, so they only had really probably one hit in Australia called Running in the Family, but they're massive UK band. Like they used to sell out Wembley and stuff, huge band. 
But the the singer in that band, the front man was a guy called Mark King, and he's a phenomenal bass player, like slap bass, and could just he was the front man and could just play the most technical bass lines and sing without it just make it look so easy. And so I I worked really hard. I, I thought because I love the band and I love those guys, I, I was always trying to play level forty two songs and singing, not knowing at the time it was going to put me in good stead years down the track being a singing bass player. But um. Yeah, it's just funny. Like I look back at it now, and I actually, I'm a, like, I can appreciate the childhood that I had. But I look back at the journey I've had of playing and being obsessed with music and playing in bands. I started my first band when I was 13, and all this sort of stuff. It was so exciting at the time to get involved in it. And um, and I think one thing that gets lost when you do it for a living is that excitement. It just becomes there's that part that that where it becomes work. But you still have those moments, you know, even now when you're, you're having an amazing moment on stage where the, you just feel so connected to the crowd or you're playing, playing a big festival on a big stage or you're just having moments with the guys in the band where you're just having these cool things where, you know, you and the drummer just happen to just catch something at the same time and you look around and you just you smile at each other or you're on stage, you have a moment, you get goosebumps. Yeah. It's, you know, they're, they're the things now that, that you know, when it happens, I I, 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 I try to remember it and go, that was a moment, you know. Yeah. Well, I suppose it's, it means you're absolutely in the flow of what's going on. So you're incredibly yeah. present in that moment. Yeah. There, there's a book that I read um, earlier this year. I'll, it's something uh, Superman. It's something uh, I'll, I'll find out the title for you and I'll let you know. It's all, it's all about flow and it's actually a scientific uh, thing now. Like flow is a, a legitimate thing and you see it. They, they obviously reference it in sport but uh, with music, but definitely in sport, these guys that are, doing these extreme, you know, jumping on motorcycles and all that sort of stuff, that headspace that they're in at that time, like they talk about not being able to hear things because they're so in tune. But it, mm-hmm. it definitely happens with music when you get um, – it's happened countless times over the years with different bands I've had the privilege to play with where everyone is just at that moment, you know, uh, in that state of flow. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, It can be in a small venue, an intimate venue. It can be in front of 20,000 people where – the band, it's like you can't you, you can't play a wrong note even if if you try it. Everyone is just so in a headspace, and it's so powerful when it happens. Um, yeah, it's 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 really hard to explain it. It's happened so many times, and when it does, um, you know, I've seen it sometimes where someone might send me a link and say, "Oh, I just found this on YouTube." It might be a gig I did. I did this thing with Rose Tattoo. Um, I got a call from Angry Anderson. Out of the blue, I, I, I've known Angry for a long time, and he just rings me out of the blue. He's like, hey, Matty, what are you doing in two weeks? Our bass player can't do this gig. We've got these gigs with Slash. And, I, and at the time, I was touring with Adam Brand, and we had like a couple of months crazy gigs. But as it happened, this one weekend, I was free. And um, and uh, and I literally had about a week and a half to learn the, the set. And it was it's a long story. I'll cut a long story short. I didn't have much time to prepare the rehearsals, the drummer was an hour and a half late. Then when he got there, the guitar player had to leave. It was just, I was just really put in the deep end. But someone sent me a link a few years ago, and it's a really cool moment. You know, we've got Slash side of stage with his band. I'm on stage with Rose Tattoo. But there's just a moment where, I, even though I knew the guys in the band, I, I hadn't played with them before, so I didn't have that camaraderie that they had. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment late in the, in we're playing, I think it was Bad Boy for Love. And we're just rocking out the back end of the song, the, the guys doing the guitar solo. And they've all gone in, in together into the middle and they're rocking out. And I'm just sort of out on the wings because I just sort of felt like I wasn't a part of the band. Mm. And where everyone's rocking out, but I'm sort of out. And I see Angry, he's looking for me and he turns his head and he sees me and he whistles. 
and it brings me in like, like come in, mate, come in. Yeah. And I come in and then you see me just with the guys and then I, I come with and I'm rocking out. And like, that was a moment for me because, mm -hmm. uh, but someone sent me the link and I'm watching this back and, and I'm thinking, oh, this is the bit where he, and you see me, just as he calls me in like this. And I, you just have moments like that. And, and even though that whole gig was a bit of a blur, I just remembered him saying, get in here, mate, you know? Yeah. It was just a moment. And I think if I had, I'd have to really think about it, but I know throughout my career I've had, I've had many moments of those things that that sometimes the audience wouldn't have any idea of what just happened, but I I felt it. You know, yeah. it was a moment for me. But I think the audience does feel it, and that's that is part of the magic of going yeah. to life. Oh, definitely, yeah, definitely, definitely. Oh no, I just meant there might be specific things I may not feel. Hundred percent, and I think too with with music. I think the the power of music and the beauty of it when when you go, whether you're an artist that goes to a gig or you're a fan that goes to a gig, when you witness something so special, you can just have those moments where you know a, a singer can pull someone out of the crowd and or, or just something special. Adam Brand's known for it, like the things that he's done over the years. Like, and he won't even tell the band; he'll just stop the band and then go down into the crowd and sing to some someone that looks like they're having a bad day and things like that. You know, where you you, you make a difference in someone's day or their life or something they'll never forget. Yeah. Um, that's the beautiful thing about music um, that that I love. And I think sometimes it gets lost again in Australia here. And and I know we're, we're such a big sport nation. As I said, I completely get it because I'm a Rabbitoh fan. I've got a Rabbitoh tattoo. I'm one of those crazy <laughs> footy fans. But it, it is it is a special thing. Uh, music is so special. Um, live music is so special. I think what people get out of it when they go, it can truly pull them out of a dark place. It's happened countless times. Artists I've worked with over the years, I've seen people that are talking to artists after the gig saying they've suffered with depression or they go through some dark times and their music pulls them out of the dark time, all this sort of stuff. It's, um, uh, you know, I think music for a lot of people, you know, I often say it's like therapy. Hmm. Um, I know even just for me, I've got, I've always got my, my bass guitar and my acoustic guitar sitting here. If, and, Sometimes I've got to pick it up to learn songs. That to me is work. Um, mm -hmm. If I've got to practice stuff, for, but often I will just be sitting here on the lounge and I'll just pick up my bass and plug it in and just play, or pick up my acoustic and play. That to me is when it's just therapy. If I'm just playing a guitar, because at that moment I'm not thinking of anything else. If there's some personal stuff going on in my life, I'm just playing the guitar, and uh, that's why I encourage people. Like people, countless people over the years. Oh, I've always wanted to play the guitar, but I'm, you know I'm not good at it or I'm too old now. It's like go buy a guitar. There's never been a time. A better time to learn now. YouTube, all this stuff, even mm. if you crap at it, if you pick it up and you enjoy doing it, it's therapy. It's, yeah. It feels good. You know, even if you, you you sit there and you play along with one of your favourite bands and you're playing the wrong chords but you're enjoying it, you can't put a price on that. I know, fun. We all Absolutely. need to have fun after the last couple of years. Absolutely. But you're talking about playing music on your own. Again, nice segue for me because I want to talk about your solo release. So, yeah. so 2017 was the last time you released solo music. Um, and you obviously work very well with others. You talked about Adam Brand. You know, you've, you've been in other bands with Mike Carr and dropping into Rose Tattoo. So what made you decide to go back to working solo given that you, or creating music solo, given that you you do play well with others, shall we say? Yeah. Um to be honest, I, I could give you a few reasons, but the, the main one was just how I felt. Um, I've been, when we did Cornell and Carr, that sort of came about, um, I think it was around 2018, Mike and I did a gig down in Tamworth and we just said, uh, we, we said during the festival, why don't we just do a show, you and I, two acoustic guitars, 
play songs we've written for with each other and blah 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 we did did this show and it just felt really good the crowd really bought into what we're doing it's like oh there's something in this why don't we why don't we do something we, we formed Cornell and Carr we put out one song one song turned into an album turned into six singles three gold guitar nominations or whatever but it was never meant to go for as long as it did before we'd get back to our respective things Mike doing buddy good and doing his solo thing me doing my solo thing but then COVID hit and then so that obviously, you know, changed the 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 the, the goalposts. Twenty eighteen, we both lived in Sydney. Then I moved to the Gold Coast, so I'm living on the Gold Coast. He's in Sydney. The borders are closed during COVID. Um, earlier this year, he moves to Tasmania. All this sort of stuff, and and the move was I knew you know, we all knew that Mike was moving to Tasmania with his wife. So we're getting further and further away from each other. Um, but it was that was a factor that 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 was that that played a part in a bit was how I felt, and I really felt. I really missed doing my own thing and connecting with my fan base. I, I, mm. I missed putting music out and getting that instant gratification that you get when you connect, when you put out a song and people re- relate to it and all this sort of stuff. And funnily enough, so Dicko, who's been managing, excuse me, Cornell and Carr the past few years, we put out a song last year called What You Want It, and it was Cornell and Carr's biggest song, our biggest streaming song, um, our most successful radio song. But it was during that campaign I said to Dicko, I said, mate, I, I, I don't want to, I, I can't do Corner and Car again after this song. After this song, I need to get back to doing my own thing. And at first he sort of, he didn't push back. He just didn't understand. He's like, but things are going so well for Cornell and Car. I said, I know they are, mate. Look, we've, we've been working really hard, but I've missed doing my thing and I feel it's time to do it. And, and, and after about a week, it really sunk into him and he said, okay, I get it. And then he saw me perform at Country on Keppel last year for the first time doing my own thing. And he had some really interesting insights. And so it was over Christmas last year, I went up to his place in Mullaney on the Sunshine Coast to have dinner with him and his um, lovely wife, Mel. We, we had a few reds and we hung out. We had a nice meal. The next day, him and I just went for this big walk down the park and we just had this big heart to heart. And I just poured my heart out to him and, and told him, you know, all the reasons why I need to get back to doing my own thing. And then he gave me his insights and and people that know Dicko from Australian Idol, they just see this brash sort of, you know, judge. And he was playing a role on TV, right? Um, but the guy, he he's such a beautiful man and, and he really loves his artists. Um, but there's also that side of him. He will not sugarcoat anything. And I'm at an age where I don't need to be, nothing needs to be sugarcoated. I've got thick skin. And it's like, mate, just tell me, tell me what you're thinking. And he gave me some, some of his, his honest truths but what was really interesting was um, when he saw me perform for the first time last year, he said, I noticed when you played some of the rocking songs in your set, like I do sometimes I put Dakota, the stereophonic song in my set or whatever. And, and I always do like some 80s songs in my set. And he said, when you played some of the rock songs in your set, when you played the 80s songs in your set, there was a different physiology. You moved a, a little differently. You, you sang a bit differently. And he said, and I, I saw this other, other side of you. And he said, I don't think, I think you need to embrace your past as this guy that's got this rock DNA or whatever, the guy that loves the eighties. He said, I think you need to embrace that. You can still be the storyteller, which I love to do. Mm. And um, so Dicko put that out there. He said, this is what we need to do. He said, but before we release a song, if we haven't got the song, then you won't be releasing a song until then. And I said, yep, fair enough. So he said, you need to write, you need to write, 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 and write even more. I want to have 13 or 14 songs before we pick the single. And so that's where the journey started the start of this year. So, and even last year I was writing a lot 
and I'd write a song and sometimes I'd just send him an iPhone recording of me with a guitar and he'd go, yep, I like it, but yeah, it's not the one, it's not the one. And then, and so, and this this went on for some time and then um, I'd actually, a couple of years ago, I did record a couple of songs, they're not released yet. One of them I wrote with the Wolf Brothers, which I really love. And and that, that's a contender down the road to potentially be a single, but um, I teamed up with Jared Adlam, who's a producer here on the Gold Coast. Um, Prior to that, Matt Feller produced my last four records. Matt Feller now lives in Tasmania, so I thought it's time I'd work with someone local. Um, and so that led me to Jared Adlam. Um, and so Jared was the one that sort of led me to listening to Hardy, the American artist. Mm-hmm. And I love what I love about Hardy is that the rock influence in his country uh, song. So um, then we wrote uh, Stick Around with another guy called Tim, Tim Aitken, Jared and myself, um, and again, like there's the storyteller in me in that in that song, but it's got the big rock guitars in it, and it's got that eighties eighties esque thing about it. Yeah. So I'm just sort of giving you some insight into how Dicko is woven into this story, how this song came about. It was about the insights that we talked about twelve months ago, embracing the past and blah blah blah. But um, yeah, I, 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 when we wrote it, even the demo, it had a vibe, and I remember sending it to Dicko, and he, I said, I've written this song have a listen. He rang me straight away. He goes, he goes, I won't do his accent, but he's like, this song has some merit. He goes, I think we need to explore this a bit more. And then, yeah, we went and recorded it and, you know, and here we are. Well, so you obviously, you obviously trust him a lot because you're sending him these songs, you're, you're writing, you're, yeah. as you say, the voice members, he's like, no, like not this one, not that one. And, and so I guess it points to the role of instinct for both of you. It's like you, yeah. you're following your, following your instincts as a songwriter he yep. has his instincts as someone who's at one removed from that and not invested in the songs that you're writing. But I mean, even though you have thick skin, um, is it hard if you think, oh, I've written this song, but it may never become something else? Yeah, it is. Uh, like even like there has been some songs that I've sent in that I thought might might have some merit. But I think for the first time in my career, I've actually got management because up until um Dicko came into my life like he started managing Cornell and Carr before I got back to my solo thing but I've always been self-managed and I look back I've achieved a lot um like all the the stuff that's happened prior to this year as a lot of it's come from being affiliated with Adam Brand and touring with him and that sort of thing but I've never actually had management so when I I would write songs in the past I'd send them to people like Adam Brand and you know my family people that are music musically some friends you get some feedback when you write a song and sometimes you sort of you don't need feedback. You just know when you write something really strong. Mm-hmm. But it's it's different with Dicko because it's not like, you know, I'm sending um, a song to a mate that's going to go, yeah, it's a good song. He has really specific, um, he's got very good instincts. And even though he may not have, say, the, the musical knowledge that I have, he has an instinct that's different to mine. And he picks up on things that are, it's, it's quite uncanny, some of the things that he said to me over the last year. Um, and again, and, but, you know, he's very honest. He's very honest. And, and I love that about him. And we have very open conversations about certain things. And, and there's been many times where I've said something and he'll just go, no, nah, I think you're wrong. I don't think you need to do that. I think this is where you need to be focusing. And, or if I've got a concern about something, I said, no, you're wasting your energy worrying about that. I think you need to focus on this. So it's really good. safe to actually have someone in my life, a manager that one, he really loves me and I love him and he cares about me. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and I know that, um, there's there's nothing about our relationship as mates as manager artist that where it's it's um it's just all business there's there's there's, there's times where actually no I should say 
there is times when, when it's all business, but I know deep down he really cares about me. So um, we can have really open, honest conversations about things. And I've I've sent him songs where he just goes, no, you know, I don't, I don't think that's, I don't rate it. Yeah, okay, cool. And um, but I'll also fight for something like there's a particular song that I'm that I think I'd like to release next year that he's not convinced yet, but I, I, I've I've got to sort of prove to him and, and and tell him why I'm going to fight for this particular song. But um, but it just feels good to actually have a manager that that really cares about what I'm doing and and has has amazing insights. But but from him personally, um, Dicko is very committed to, to country music in Australia. Like he's really made a commitment to it. He's got Taylor Moss, mm-hmm. one of his other artists. He's got the Wet Whistles. He's got and so his focus is on on country. And so he's really thrown himself in 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 this genre you know making friendships and connections and and um and yeah he's um he's such a good guy and he's he's led an amazing life prior to to, to idol that the life that he led in in the uk working you know being doing a and r for these massive record companies he's got some incredible stories and um mm. yeah i just feel i feel really lucky to have him in my life well, the song is terrific and you sound uh, very present and in the flow while you're singing it. And um, it's a re- it was a reminder to go back to my soundtrack from 2017 and have a, because I had to listen to it for a while. And that's a great album as well. Thank you. So I'm presuming your fans are happy with the new song. Yeah, no, it's been great. And again, I mentioned that word instant gratification. I think it's one of the few uh, jobs that you can do where you can you can get that. You can get that feedback you can put a song out there you can put a film clip out there and say hey what do you think about it you know what do you how do you like this song so I I can get that interaction from my my base straight away Mm -hmm. and so overwhelmingly I know that that they actually accepted the song and they really like it but from the the business side too we're looking at the streams of songs getting you know being added on Triple M Country and ABC across the board and Kicks Country and all, all these radio stations you picked it up right across Australia so when you look at the the the, the back end insights, the song's doing really well, mm. um, and that's a, another thing with Dicko. He's across so much of that sort of stuff, and he'll ring me up and he'll, he'll say, "Have you seen the impressions today?" And and I'm like, "I haven't looked at it today." And he's right he's right across all the stats. Right. So so I know the business side of the song's doing really really well. And the thing is too, when I last released in 2017, so um, I think the last single I put out was "It's Only Midnight." Spotify was nowhere near as important as it is now for, for memory I don't think there were like playlists like there are now the big playlists and getting on playlists and, and and I remember when I released that record it wasn't Spotify wasn't a thing and so since then even though I've been doing Cornell and Car my, my um, solo career has been stagnant so my monthly listenership wasn't wasn't that great but this song I think it went from like around 3,700 ish people a month to up over I think it's 40,000 or something a month so it's shot up very quickly purely because the song is connecting and it's and it's out there you know getting picked up on various playlists and so that wasn't a thing five years ago now it is and so this has been a learning curve for me too to see how important you know Apple Music and and Spotify and, and these these platforms are because the last release I did it was iTunes was important, but the streaming side, not not so much. So yeah. um, it's important to, I think, evolve and just as as the industry evolves in in all sorts of areas to to move with the times. And and um, so I'm still learning a lot. And the music industry is changing so much. I just think what everything that artists have to get their head around, whether it's streaming or social media and how to connect oh, with 
people. But now you have mentioned that there's a, there's a co-write with the Wolf Brothers, so immediately I want to hear that song, but it's not recorded. So oh, no, it, it actually is. Oh, it, was, it is recorded. It was recorded a couple of years ago. So, yeah. oh, so, oh, so, so maybe it was recorded, yes. it was recorded in in Sydney. Um, I can't remember. It's so weird with COVID. It just feels trying to remember times and places. It was it was a couple of years ago. I, actually, it was we we um. We were in Sydney recording uh, Beer Talk for Cornell and Carr and um, I can't even think of the other. So What You Wanna, I think it was. And and that same session, I recorded a couple of songs and one of them was the Wolf Brothers song. But but again, I, I wasn't talking about my solo thing at that time. I just wanted to record the song because I really loved it. And then and then Cornell and Carr was still the focus. So, um, yeah, I, I, I want to get that that song out there. So watch this space. Okay, great. Well, that's something to look forward to as a next release. And it sounds like given that you've been doing a lot of writing, there may be some other songs as well. But There definitely is. There definitely is. And there, there's something happening in the new year that I can't talk about yet, but my next release is going to be really special. Um, but we'll be able to talk about that next time. And, okay. I, won't be, and I won't be sick. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to leave it there for now. But Matt, great as always to talk to you. Thanks for your time. Hey, thank you. And uh, thanks for persisting. Uh, <laughs> as we said off air, the first time we spoke, I had laryngitis. Last week it was the man flu. Uh, so I, that's it now. I don't want to be sick again for quite a long time. But listen, it's it's been uh, great chatting uh, with you as always. And, and it's 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 so much fun. It's, you're, just, you're very good at what you're doing. So oh, thanks for having me. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Sunburnt Country Music Podcast. For more Australian country music interviews and reviews and other things, go to sunburntcountrymusic.com or to Sunburnt Country Music on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok.